listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Are you a Pull Across related business? Chugga Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polacrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. On this episode of Chuck a Talk, you'll meet Jane Marriott, legendary Australian player and World Cup champion. She's also my former coach. We discuss the why and how of legging up horses for the season and how to manage them throughout. We also discuss what separates the good from the great in mental preparation. I feel these are some of the most important topics that can be discussed in our sport. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the pull across world by connecting people together and most importantly to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Hello. Hey Jane. That was a mission. (laughs) I was going to say, this is like Africa. I've interviewed so many over there. They always have someone with a generator or a hamster wheel. What happened there? Oh, I don't know. We've got a power outage for some reason. I'm not sure why. I couldn't get onto anything because I can't use my laptop or computer. Yeah. I had to use my phone. And I'm not very good at remembering passwords either. So, yeah. anyway. Ah, good to see you. You too. Congratulations. Thank you. It's about time, that's finally. A, that's a bit exciting. It is. <laughs> Very exciting. So it's 80 degrees there in Greenwich. It is like 107 degrees. Really? It's ridiculous. Christmas Day, it was 120 degrees. Christmas well, Day was the hottest day we've had in I don't even know how long. It was absolutely ridiculous. It's uh, minus 12 Celsius here. It's 11. <laughs> yeah. I don't even understand that. We don't, we don't get that ever here. I played polo on the weekend and it was about 110 degrees. Yeah, tell me about that. Tell me how that went. Whole family. Um, it was pretty good. It was funny. We ended up yesterday, we played the subsidiary final against the four Lister sisters. So that was a <laughs> bit of fun. It was the Marriott's versus the Listers. And we drew. It was even at the end of the game. And because it was only the subsidiary final, we decided nobody deserves bragging rights for 12 months. So... <laughs> We left it as a draw so no one could, yeah, no one could pick on each other for the entire year until the next ladies tournament. Which Lister sister tests the refs the most? No, they're all, they're all very good sportswomen and they're very gamesmanship. Sportsmanship is good. They were good. And especially in polo because they don't know enough. So they were, <laughs> they can't argue with the umpires. But yeah. I'm, I'm wrong, actually. There was Christy Crook was in there instead of Tracy. Tracy didn't play. It was, so it was Suzette, Lizzie and Sal. And then Christy Crook was their fourth person. That's so much fun to have everyone like the, the family the wa family playing against them oh it was awesome but um as far as polo goes there was a lot of polo crossing going on <laughs> it was it was a bit frustrating polo wise but it was good fun lots of fun i have to ask you about the aussie open final what did you think about that the, oh wow what an awesome game that was fantastic <laughs> i mean roger federer is my hero in tennis but nadal is such a superstar Mm-hmm. And to come from two sets down and just keep, like, they were both exhausted. We'd got home late and they were just starting the third set. And I thought, I'll just sit down and watch this for a bit. And then it was so late by the time it finished. And we were just watching. So I can't imagine what it was like for those guys playing five hours of grueling tennis. And it was hot there too. Just pure grit. 
really. Yeah. Nadal, he's he's superhuman. He's a superstar. And I'm glad my money was on him and that's who I wanted to win anyway. I have to ask this, though. Djokovic was playing. Where would your money have been? Still on Nadal? Maybe not my money, but my hopes would have been on mm. Nadal. I'm not a big Novak fan, but I like anybody who's as good as those guys at, in their disciplines. But yeah, it would have been a different outcome maybe, but I'm glad Nadal was there and Nadal won. Yeah, it's crazy that all three of them had 20 Grand Slam wins. And that I know, it's fantastic. Time. That's wild. It's pretty huge. Very huge. (laughs) Well, thanks for being back on the podcast. You're always giving back to the sport with all your knowledge. So I appreciate you coming back. There's a lot of exciting things going on with you coaching. We're going to talk about horse prep and mental prep. Got a lot to talk about there. But what about all these teams that you're the coach of? Tell me a little bit about that. What's going on with that? Well, I'm lucky enough to have been selected to coach the Australian ladies team. We are hopefully playing a test match or three games, but over a weekend against New Zealand ladies. The men will play as well. I'm just crossing fingers, toes, everything Mm. that COVID doesn't ruin that for our team. In Western Australia, we've relatively been COVID free and we've been very lucky in the way that we've lived our lives the last two years. It's really been business as usual, including our polycross season, which is pretty rare around the world, I think. So today, because I've been in Perth on the weekend, today is the first day at home that I will now have to wear a mask at some times in the town that I live in. And that's like, we just haven't had to do that. I had to wear a mask when I went to Albury tournament in April last year. And that's the only time I've had to wear a mask and I don't like it. So I'm just staying at home for the next two weeks. So I don't have to, but it's coming here. We've had hard borders in our state borders. Our Australian champs were cancelled in 2020. So they're trying to go ahead end of March now. At the moment, we're left with one team from Western Australia looking at heading to those Australian champs, which it's pretty sad for Western Australian polycross when we only had low teams anyway because people are just unsure whether a lot of people lost a lot of money getting organised to go in 2020. And it's just hard to press that button on your flights or your whatever it might be, your leave for work, just the fear of the unknown. So we're looking at we only have a mixed under-21 side, so there's four under-21 men and four under-21 ladies. I'm coaching that team if we get there. At the moment, our borders are locked. We can Mm. get there. We can't get home without quarantining, and that's hard when that age group are either at school or university. And it's months out of that time anyway by the time you leave home and get back we've got to go 4,000 kilometers to get there 4,000 kilometers to get home and then you add quarantine on the end of that it's a big logistical effort to go and play five days of polo cross which if it was a professional sport it would be different because you're not digging into your pocket the time as much but the kids missed out two years ago so we're trying to get them there Uh, I'm hopeful but I'm doubtful and it's also where I would like to meet my lady the Australian ladies team to start the bonding there they're they're all in their own state teams so they're preparing heavily for that horses would have been in from either the first of January or before that to get ready for nationals I think the nationals would definitely go ahead I just don't see WA getting there in much of anything really but we're hopeful and then sort of moving on from that from Ballarat there'll be Albury and the Silver Stirrup and the big Albury tournament and then moving up to Barrowstock and where the tests will be at Warwick which is as always those Albury and 
Warwick, they're two big super venues of the sport and it's always a good show. So I'm crossing fingers, toes and everything that we can get there and everything go according to plan. So you'll get to do all of those on one trip? No, no, no I won't. All... Definitely, uh... definitely not. I'd love to. I'd <laughs> love to, but no, kids in school and life, everything that we have to do to make it possible to play the sport is life gets in the way of good planning. <laughs> Well, I'll make the prediction that you're going to be the future World Cup coach for the Aussies. They need to have a woman on there for for everybody. I think there's there's women's polo cross and there's men's polo cross. And I think in World Cup, you pretty much need, you can't cross your sections. You pretty much need a coach for each section. And whether that's a woman or a man, I don't know. But they're different sports, women's polo cross and men's polo cross. And at that level, you need people who know the drill and know what it takes. That's exciting. Um, who knows? Yeah, it is exciting. Well-deserved, though. Well-deserved. Why don't we get into the horse prep? This is the perfect time to do it because of all the things going on. And most countries are getting their horses starting to get legged up. We have our first tournament in March in Florida here for some people in the South. What's your typical plan? I get asked this question so many times. Like I, I said to my family this morning, I would get asked this question once a fortnight, I think, from people all around the world. How do I start? What's my plan? I just need a basic plan to work with. And it's the same for all horses. Um, In the start, especially, it's a minimum of eight weeks for me before I would put a horse into a game or a tournament situation. And that minimum would be a seasoned horse. So a young horse, a new horse, and horse that has injuries or has had previous injuries, they would take a bit longer. So you said legging up. So Legging up is a term that everybody in horse disciplines use to get a horse to a certain standard, a standard of fitness. When we're not legged up or when a horse is not legged up, doesn't have the strengths in tendons, in ligaments, in muscles, all of that. So you would start slow, be consistent in your work. I get mine in once they come in and I make that decision okay, they're in now, it's every day, every day, and they get Mondays off. So Monday is my international horse day off. Mm. Everyone gets a day off. The horses, the people, it's takeaway. They don't get a hard feed. They get hay because it's easy for us. They get to go out in a big paddock and be a horse for the day. And like us, if you're in hard training or in any training, it's good to have a day of repairing and restoring and just relaxing so every muscles mind everything can um restore what's the length of your typical off season you know so they probably they do they look like wild brumbies when they come back in like lost a lot of muscle or- for me it's sort of six months and six months really mm. and they look like they've never played a game nor <laughs> never will play a game of polycross at any level mm. they're hairy they don't look like athletes they look like mongol ponies <laughs> and that's good because that means they've been out i I keep their feet done over the time. A lot of people don't, but I find, especially I've got one horse with a bit of flat feet. He has wings out the side. And if I let him go for too long, it's just too hard to get him back to nice feet again. And my farrier hates me. We joke around with one week's work, take their mane off, that's a week's work. Throw a rug on, that's an extra week's work. (laughs) Because they start looking like a real horse or like a a polycross pony, not like some paddock feral thing. (laughs) But... I always say a horse, to play polycross, a horse only has to be two things. It doesn't have to be smart. It doesn't have to be the right breed. It doesn't have to be the right size. All it has to be is well-fed and fit to play the sport. 
So once they come in, we, we worm them, we look after them, we start that work program to make them well-fed and fit. Mm-hmm. You can't overfeed them if they're not getting the work and you can't overwork them if they're not getting the feed mm. or then we run into problems. And if they're not fit enough to do what we want them to do, then we have injuries. And with any injury, prevention is better than cure. If we get them in, I do. I like to do four weeks of slow. I don't ever start walking because they walk around enough in the paddocks. So they come in and they trot and they trot and then they canter. And then after four weeks, I'll add sprints to them. I'll add some slow chuckers. Be mindful of who you have chuckers with because some people think any chucker in any paddock, whether there's goalpost lines, means a trophy. My chuckers for those first few weeks will only be 70% maximum. And eight weeks is a minimum before I put a horse into a, an overexertion situation. If you use too much fuel too early, a horse will fatigue and you won't get them back until next year or until they've had at least 8, 10, 12 weeks off. Um, so it's very important not to use a horse too quickly if you want them for a long period of time. Once a horse is fit, fit, they can carry that core fitness for four weeks. So you can put them out in the paddock and not work them for four weeks. They'll lose a bit of muscle tone. They'll lose a little bit of their ligaments and tendons will start to harden up a bit, but they will keep their core fitness for four weeks. If we get them good and fit and ready to play the game and prepare them properly, if they have an injury, they can afford to have a week off. They can afford to have two weeks off. And then we can pick them back up again. A big thing to remember as well is during the season, like our season runs from June to sometimes the first couple of weeks in December. You can't get a horse fit to peak fitness and keep them at their peak fitness for that six months. It is not physically possible for a horse to remain in peak fitness for longer than two weeks. So it's really important that we we learn where their peak fitness is And we don't ever use 100% out of that tank. We need to pick them up for the tournaments and then drop them down again and then pick them back up and then drop them down again because they cannot stay at that peak fitness for more than two weeks. If we do, they just fatigue and then they start eating into their own muscle and then we get a horse that no matter what we feed it, and no matter what work we do, it is exhausted and it cannot get back. Am I overthinking this? But do you kind of sit at the beginning of the season and you, you say, okay, eight weeks and you get your club organized. So, hey, we're going to start doing chuckas at this point and we're going to use these horses in these tournaments and then we're going to give them a break for these tournaments. How do you lay that out? That is something. I mean, a lot of people, the, the majority of our players here play, like our biggest cohort of players is C-grade. And most C-grade players have one horse only. They might have an extra horse, but it's a lot different standard of horse to their main horse. So some people only have one horse to play every weekend. We play every second weekend. And that's okay. It's a one-horse sport. And the sport is designed for players to only have one horse. And it is very, very doable and possible for an A-grade player to have one horse for the season if you manage them properly. And, yes, that's one thing that we do quite often. We decide, okay, what are our blue ribbon tournaments? What are the tournaments we as a club and as a team, we want to throw everything at and they're the cup, like they're the prestigious cup for us as a team and a club that we want to aim for. And we will. We want our best horses out on that 
field for that weekend and that's the ones we're going to throw everything out so yeah you work out how many tournaments before can we allow for injury and get it planned like everyone organizing for nationals now some people are in their season some people aren't in their season for WA it's always quite hard to for players and for horses the only way to get properly playing fit is to play polycross right you cannot simulate that in any other way like I've pounded in the gym day after day to try and get a level of fitness and without playing polycross right you, you can't get that playing fitness and nor can your horses they need everything from the muscle strength to the tendons ligaments to the cardio all of it comes together and you you need a certain number of chuckers and games to get that under your belt before you go away which it's hard, especially now there's only one team possibly going. Who do, who do they play against other than each other over and over and over again? Which in countries like America and other smaller countries in playing numbers, it's hard to get that competition for your horses and yourselves right. to prepare to go away. But you you got to find a way. For me, always for self and for horses, if I make a horse fit enough to play two games a day for 10 days and prepare it for that, then how easy and ready are they going to be to play one game a day for five days? If you over-prepare, then you're going to be ready. Preparation builds confidence in both you and your horse. So for me, you work hard and get that preparation in and horses in and so you're ready to go to achieve the results that you want at whatever tournament it is. If I'm right, uh, Polo Cross was started way back in the day and uh, people would work cattle during the week and then have fun on the weekend. So in prime season with your big, big tournaments, let's say there's a couple within a few weeks. What are you doing the days in between if you know you've got games on the weekend? Is it all long sets or do you have a short set in, in there? For me personally, once my horses are proper fit and they've had maybe two tournaments I don't ever work my horse on a Monday anyway and then coming into tournaments and once they're fit I don't work them on a Friday before the tournament it's a big thing here in Australia everyone travels to the tournament they get there and then Friday afternoon <laughs> it's everywhere. while I'm sitting down having a cold beer there could be up to 50 people out there on the field or and they're turning and stopping and <laughs> charging around and somebody's throwing goals and someone's defending and there you can't it's like an exam you can't cram on the last day all you are doing is making your horse's legs tired right. there are only a certain number of stops a certain number of turns a certain length of galloping a horse can do over a weekend and if you use a quarter of your tank on friday evening you've lost that quarter of a tank for sunday afternoon if you're lucky enough to be in the final my horse is we travel five, eight, up to 13 hours to get to a tournament. I'm not going to then make him more tired by riding him Friday afternoon. Would you leave on a Thursday or would you just you get there Friday afternoon? And Depend. Anything over six hours, I would leave Thursday and go halfway Thursday night mm -hmm. um, and the rest Friday morning. We just had our APA board meeting and we discussed extending the liability coverage to Friday just because, like you said, people are out there riding Anything can happen, obviously, with horses. But, yeah, it's just like a regular day with the number of people out there riding. And the big thing is if your horses are prepared and ready and fit, they don't need to be ridden Friday. I like to give mine a hit out on, on Thursday and really like give them a good hit out, open their lungs up. Any final touches I need in lineups or 
whatever it might be. I work on that. But my horse on Thursday evening, ideally, would be as if he's played a game. Right. Like he's, I've dug in and then I have all Friday to relax and restore. And then we're ready to go for Saturday morning. So often, if you don't, if you just do the long work and Saturday morning, your first chucker and sometimes your first game, your horse is a bit strong in the mouth. He's a bit goey. He might be jumping around and you just think, oh God, I'm glad we've got that game out of the way because now he's my normal horse again because they're above themselves or whatever it might be. I find if you give them that real hit out and get their lungs working, their cardio up, their muscles burning on the Thursday, Saturday morning they start ready to go and I don't have that over excitement or over fueled up horse. You want your horse at its best from the first lineup, not the second chakra or the second game. I can picture Ashley out there with you on Thursday night. Just like I I imagine it just out (laughs) in the back paddock and it's getting very competitive. There's some knuckle hits and maybe some helmet hits. It, it is, but I'm at the stage now with Ashley where she has to ride the worst horse. <laughs> I'll ride the best horse and I've got to get in as many wins as I can now before <laughs> she starts overtaking me. So, she, she's, No, it's good. It's good. She's very competitive. She's very capable. She's. I can still age and experience will beat youth every time <laughs> at the moment because there's cunning that goes in there as well but no <laughs> it's good fun and it's it's great to see her getting better and better and what's it like having jeremy around and Peter? i mean how far away are they too far they're five hours roundabout it's and- good it's great to have them there and Ashley's it's been school holidays today's our first day of school mm. for the year so the kids are going to school but Ashley's spent the last two weeks down there we played 12 horses in our team for polo on the weekend and 11 of them all go back to the one mare that my grandparents had so oh my gosh that was pretty cool Ashley's been down there working them all and with Peter and Jeremy and so when we played on the weekend, 11 of our string of 12 were all from the one mare. And what about uh, Jeremy's midget uh, pony? Is that one related or is that an outlier? No, she is by a horse. So their stallion at the moment is a grandson of the grey mare. Dora is that horse and she is by Fox. She has a bigger heart than, there's also a horse there that's 16-3 and her heart's bigger than his. <laughs> she is little, but she she was a twin is why she was so, oh. she is so little and her twin didn't survive, but she's a firecracker. I wish she was about a hand or six inches taller. She'd be <laughs> a gun. How tall is she? 14-2, I think. Oh, that's not as bad. I haven't actually measured her ass, but she's, she's a ripper. Yeah. It looks worse in that picture. It must be against the big horse because it just looks like he's... That horse is probably the biggest horse playing. Oh, okay. And, That's why they showed it. Yeah. And Johnny Kukul, who's on the horse, is a big man as well. And sometimes photos, like she's leaning in, the, the big horse is on an upstride. So it's, it's a seriously exaggerated photo. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a good look. Do you have any other comments on fit horse fitness? No, a big thing for me is just have them ready. You will save injuries. You will have better results team-wise. Horses at the end of a game will be tired. And if they're not ready, they will be extra tired. So then they become heavy. You become tired because you're riding harder and having to do extra work. Your arms are tired. Their mouth is tired. Right. When you're tired and when they're tired, bad decisions happen and that's when mistakes happen and that's when injuries happen. It is obvious to me 
Do you guys still play eight chucker game? I mean, eight minute chuckers? Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. We play six sixes, but we're playing two games on Saturday and two on Sunday. So our finals are not on fresh legs. And uh, there's been a lot of forfeits because people's horses are injured and all that. There's some people that play extra hard on Sunday morning to make the final. There's others that don't have to. A lot of stuff that goes along with that. So we're trying to promote like a fresh legs on Sunday morning, a fresh leg final, kind of what I used to see in Australia. Either four games on a weekend or sometimes three, depending on numbers of the tournament. But it, it is manageable if people do exactly that and manage their horses. Yeah. The game's evolved a lot. Rackets are deeper. People can hang on to the ball a lot. A horse has to work a lot harder than it used to. I have played a lot of eight-minute chuckers. I don't like them at all in the sport that we play today. I think they're very hard on horses, eight-minute chuckers, especially by Sunday afternoon. Like right. You know what a horse feels like. And sometimes it's like you're on someone else's horse. It's like, what's happened? Where is my horse? No matter what you've done to prepare them, eight-minute chuckers are just too long. They still play a lot of eight-minute chuckers in different places. Mm-hmm. They quite often play four chucker games. So a horse is only getting two chuckers. But still, three six-minute chuckers are a lot easier on a horse than two eight-minute chuckers. Mm. Like those yeah. extra two minutes really do take a lot out of a horse if they run over eight minutes. That's only my personal view and my personal experience because the majority of injuries that happen are in those last two minutes of chuckers. It's all about preparation, but it is a one-horse sport. I like multi-horse. I like the opportunity to bring extra or new horses into the game or young horses into the game without overfacing them. When you carry a high handicap, it's very hard to bring a green horse or a young Mm -hmm. horse into the sport without crueling them a bit. Right. People like to make you a benchmark they like to put in their scrapbook that they've beat the 10 pointer or whatever it is so if you come out on a green one or a young one they like to target that and get a win for themselves and it's not the best thing for a new horse if we can make a horse enjoy the game and a good horse that enjoys the game will play better for you now and forever if we scare them or hurt them in those first few runouts they're not going to want to play polycross and a horse that doesn't want to play polycross is not a fun horse to play polycross on you know what it's like when you get on a competitive horse and a good horse it's so much fun when you only have to worry about the ball and not carrying a horse that's having a tantrum around the field there's there's no fun in it at all for anybody if we make them love it or or let them love it and don't scare them, then they'll be horses for longer. Some horses don't like it. They hate it. So they can go and live with someone else and play a different sport. It really is a different game on a good horse. It sounds like you have plenty of opportunities at home to find out if a horse likes it, to get them enough chuckas and test them before you personally take them into a tournament, right? You're getting that done at home. Definitely. At home and then we might organise... Like you'll have club members or friends or peers or that have similar thought patterns on how to bring a horse into a game. Hmm. And there are a few people that I would ring up and say, look, we're going to play a few chuckers, come down. There are a few people that I would never ring to say, we're going to have a few chuckers. I've got some babies. I want to show the game because they're people that just, they're great people. They're just too competitive or go too hard or they crash and bash or whatever it might be. If you introduce it with the right people, I can play two-year-olds chuckers 
right. and have them enjoy the game because no one's going to hurt them. No one's going to scare them. We're just going to go poking around. And basically it's working them and schooling them without putting them under the same pressure. As the APA, we're trying, we're calling this the year of the horse. We're just trying to do more for horse welfare. So we're trying to promote the three plus one format where you play three games that matter. And then if you want to do something on Sunday afternoon, that's fine. We're going to try to promote that. But what happens here in the States, you you see how far we, we, people go a long way. They'll do that riding on Friday. They'll have four games on the weekend and their horses are not nearly as fit as they need to be. So we're going to try to promote things like you've just, you know, like that you're talking about with preparation. There's a U.S. Polo Association has a body conditioning score one through nine and they only let four through five play Um, so just doing as much education as we can that's kind of the first step and then just promoting because because we travel so far and you know they, they show up friday night and then they play four games it's just too much on horses that aren't prepared and that's why we're seeing all these issues on sunday a big thing i noticed when i was in america with the polo cross was just that preparing of the horses like people there's no doubt that everyone there loves their horse they care about them they love them but loving them isn't enough to get them ready to play a sport like polo cross mm-hmm. someone said to me when i was over there I, I want you to teach us to play better but i don't want to play your rough style of polo cross and i said oh Firstly, I was a little bit offended, <laughs> but um, I said, I play tough polacross and I love tough polacross. I'll, I'll take tough polacross every day. I hate rough polacross and there's a massive difference between tough and rough. We do play hard, tough polacross. We do, but we prepare our horses accordingly. Rough polacross, I would rather go and do something else or sit on the sideline. I just, it, horses are expensive. They take time to get ready. I don't want them getting hurt because the person I'm playing against is going to crash into me in an unsafe and rough way. We owe it to our horses. It's our obligation to not deliberately get them in a situation where they're going to get hurt. But the person that that asked me this and told me this, that wanted help, I said to them, you work your horses three days a week. You work them on Wednesday and you work them on Saturday and Sunday. You pat them 10 times on a Saturday. I don't pat my horse 10 times on a Saturday. Like I love my horse, but I prepare it accordingly. And because I don't pat it as many times doesn't mean I don't care about it as much as this person. They, to me, don't care about their horse because they're asking it to do a massive task without being physically prepared. Um, And that is unfair on our horses. It's our obligation to prepare them, have them fit, have them well fed so they can play the sport. They are the truest athlete of all animals, including humans. Like their body is made to be a ridiculous athlete. And if we overfeed them and underwork them, we're doing them a serious disservice, especially if we want them to play four games polycross over a weekend. If you're listening out there, this is Jane Marriott. This is the wisest person I know in polycross. So it means a lot. We just have to get it through their heads and set the example to our players and the APA is going to do what we can, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Any other thoughts about horse preparation? This has been wonderful. Just the biggest thing is preparation. If you're prepared properly, you will be confident and you and your horse will perform much better the more preparation you do. Is there any good literature on preparation pull across? No. And a big thing for me, which I, I didn't say was I played a lot of polo and I groomed for a lot of polo players 
for a period of time. And for me, no matter what you think of the sport or the discipline, I love the sport and the discipline, but I've worked with racehorses, I've worked with show jumpers, I've worked with polo cross, I've worked with polo. Nobody is fitter than a polo pony. There are no horses fitter than horses playing any level of polo. If you want to learn how to truly get a horse fit, go and work for a polo player. Those horses do males, they do short work, they do long work. And to play a game and perform at a a level of polo, they have to be fit. The field's big. They flat gallop a lot of the time. They exert their lungs not as much as a racehorse, but very close to because of those gallops. A horse has the ability to expand its heart under pressure so it pumps more blood around its body so the lungs are under a lot more pressure. 95% of racehorses will bleed from the lungs. They won't all bleed through the nose, but 95% of racehorses bleed from the lungs when uh, when racing. 75% of polo ponies will do the same. So you have to have them fit. You have to have them cardio fit as well as muscle fit and strength if we can get our polo cross horses fit like that as well they're going to have the stamina to easily play polo cross and easily play those four games over a weekend they just need the muscle and the short work fitness and strength as well another thing that i didn't say earlier on don't overwork your horses when you're getting them fit 20 minutes is the maximum i ride a horse for under pressure Anything more than that and you will fatigue them. Like 20 minutes is enough work for a horse every day, no more than 20 minutes. More than that, you're not getting them extra fit, you're just making them tired. Give them their 20 minutes, put them away, do it again tomorrow. Okay, you also had some notes about mental preparation for big games. Let's get into that. There are so many players around the world who have phenomenal skills. Like all the skills that they have should make them top shelf polycross players. The only thing stopping them is their mental toughness. And for me, the most elite players who I look at and look up to and and rate highly are ones that are tough mentally. They're resilient. They've got confidence. They're versatile. And the main thing that separates them from other players with as good, if not better, skills is their ability to focus on the field. When the chips are down, when things aren't going great, they might be four goals down in the last chucker and they can play their best polo cross that they've ever played and find a way to win. Is all f- comes from their ability to focus at that time. People that aren't resilient or people that don't focus properly, they get a bit scattered and they get a bit stressed and like it's a stressful time, the pressure's high, but you have to be able to make those calm decisions under pressure. And not everyone can do that. But for me, if you prepare, if you work on your horse, if you work on your stick work, if you work on your riding, your horsemanship, your fitness, your teamwork, your communication, if you work on all of that and prepare properly, you will be confident. And when you're confident, you can focus better on the job at hand, not on everything else, because you're not cramping, you're not stressed that your horse is maybe not as fit as it should be, you're not complaining or mentally putting yourself under pressure because the umpire made the wrong decision or your number one missed a goal or you missed a goal or whatever it might be. It's a game. Things happen in a game that you can't always control. You have to find the ability to focus on the right now. Focus is present, not what's going to happen in a minute or not what happened in the last three plays. Where am I? 
and where is the ball? That's all you need to worry about. And the ability to find that focus and narrow in on that focus when pressure's on. And it's a, it's a learned behaviour and it's something that people have to physically work on. I do a lot of talks with younger players, sort of your under 21 stage, especially when skills are great. They're just coming into it. They're, they're learning everything. They're stepping into the big stuff, the A grade maybe. And their want to do well is so strong, but their anxiety or their performance anxiety makes them fizz. I was horrific at that age. I was a proper psycho. And it, it was something I had to really work on because I was too worried about what the umpire did or what my other players were doing or the mistakes I made. Or, and when that all bottles up, you are over-aroused and psycho and then don't make the right decisions on the field. So it's something that people have to find ways of visualising or working on. Or For me, if I make a mistake, I've, I've fought very hard to not worry about that mistake for the other the rest of the game I would if I made a mistake I would replay it in my head and then I would replay how it should have happened so I leave a positive in my mind and then I find the ball where am I where's the ball start again always forget what's happened leave that positive in your mind and find the ball because it's only about your next play so where am I where's the ball how do I move on now and I had to count to three. I had to find ways of breathing. I had to find ways to physically make myself better at where am I and where's the ball. So I'm concentrating on what I can do now, not on the three mistakes I might have made because that can ruin you for the rest of a game. The biggest thing is preparation, same as your horses. Be prepared, have everything ready, and then you'll have confidence going into the game and then you can focus on what's happening right now. When you look back on those times when you felt like, you know, when you were younger, and thought you were a little more scattered or, like you said, psycho. How much of an influence did players that you look up to on the field have on you? I found myself looking over at Robbie when I was started playing A grade. He wasn't always super friendly when I screwed up, but I looked up to him. <laughs> and uh, he was sort of my barometer. I, you know, Even when I was doing well, I never got over overconfident. Did, can you think of players that that happened to? And was that a big thing? No, no, no. It was a lot of a lot of people. I've played with my mom and my dad a lot. Mom horsewise has helped me forever. Dad playing wise, he, he's hard to get a lot of information out. But having him there and one or two comments has had a massive impact on me as a player. Like dad is someone who never overrode a horse or overplayed a play. Like sometimes that was frustrating, but you never see him yank a horse or pull the whip or spare a horse or complain at anybody in his team. The opposition might get a bit of the Marriott eyeball or whatever it might be. <laughs> but he was all, always very calm. Even when he was under pressure and, and going 100%, he still was calm in his mind and, and in his talking. Troy Henry was somebody who I really looked up to. He was always very calm. He was a very, he's a, a tactician of the game, so he could make one comment and it could change a game. Will Weston, just his toughness and ability to just remain focused, like so 100% focus on that ball, no matter what's going on. There are women that I didn't necessarily play with a lot, but I played against a lot. Ava Swatton played here in WA a lot. She's from New South, now in Ireland, as everyone would know. Annette Henry, who Annette Radford, who 
she's from the Territory, plays in Victoria now, but she played a lot in WA and they are people that they were so tough, which is huge for me in women's polo cross, but they also were so strong in women's polo cross as well. So they had that riding toughness and strengths and control of horses, but also the ability to really tough it with the men. Trish Jones here that I've played with a lot forever, her ability to take a horse where she needed to go, such a strength to learn from. There's so many people, like I watch our juniors and our intermediates now, and some of the things they do, I, I just, I'm learning from them now, which is, which is awesome. It took me a long time, and I don't know if I'm even there yet, to, to be completely calm. I can be very focused. Even playing polo on the weekend with my daughter, my sister and my sister-in-law, I yell a lot, like I have a lot to say. And I always say to whoever I'm playing with, especially new people, like I will yell a lot (laughs) and I don't have a great tone. Please listen to the words I say, not my tone, because I, I know that I scare a lot of people and that's how I play. I said most of what I say is for me, it's not actually for them, it's to help them and it's a bit of direction, but a lot of it's for me and that's just always how I've played. Do you feel like you you get quieter when things are going really well? No, I just, and it's not always yelling, it's just talking. I, I think a lot of what we lack, probably not as much as what I do it, but we lack a lot of talking on the field. You need somebody that's communicating and you need people not necessarily direct, directing but communicating. You've got to know if you're a number one, and you turn around and every time you turn around, the opposition two or three's got the ball. As a one, you don't know what's happening. You need to be told by your number three, like this is what's happening. Or if if someone sees something, you need to be talking about it. You need to, and it's not it's not awful stuff that you're, you're communicating. It's well done or um, try this or you're really getting a hold of that three horse or that one horse or what. Just, just communicating along the way because there's no point talking six minutes later in between chuckers if you're costing yourself a game or three goals or whatever it might be. You've got to be able to communicate along the way. Isn't it, especially coaching younger younger people, Everyone, everyone's just so different to begin with. And they, I think about when I was on World Cup teams, the way everyone prepares differently. Some people need headphones on. They need to be with themselves. Some people like to talk. They need that extra. They need that stimulation. After a chukka, they're coming off the field. I mean, do you use the technique where you say something positive and then give them a tip, or is it, or, or I don't know. Do you, do you talk to different people? Everybody's different. different. Everybody's different, like you say. And the main thing is communicating and knowing who you're playing with and what they like and what they don't like. You'll always have people in a team who are nervous and don't like to talk, or you'll have people who are nervous who don't shut up. So you put that person with someone else who likes to talk. You don't put that person with the person who can't be talked to because you want everyone to prepare and be ready to do the best they can do for the team. It's horses for courses, for want of better words. It's Once you get to any level, you need to know how to prepare yourself best and you need to be able to communicate with that with your team. Right. Um, it's as simple as that. What makes me, what's my pre-game routine and what makes me play my best? Do you have a memory where the game was pretty close or you were down and you came back and any special memories about overcoming mental challenges, stress on the field where you were victorious and anything you can remember from any of those experiences? Nothing stand out. 
I do have games where I just have had to really dig deep and find that extra focus to be able to get a successful outcome. There's players that I've played against and I can remember snippets or chuckers or whatever it might be, but I've had to find that extra level to be competitive and to get a win. I'm proud of a lot of games that I've played where there hasn't been a win and we've found a way to find that win and to get that win. Probably one of the most recent games we've played was the ladies zone championships here in Western Australia where we had a team that probably didn't have the strengths on paper and we didn't have the strength in horses but just through confidence and positive communication and grit for six chuckers or six minutes at a time we got the win and it was one goal in the very dying seconds of the final that got us that win when you know you've worked so hard and done absolutely all you could have done it's more rewarding like a win's rewarding anyway but I would much rather play my absolute best and lose than know that I haven't performed well and win. Yes, we might win bragging rights, we might win the trophy, but really we're playing a game that's not professional. It's on horses. You're competing against self a lot of the time. How am I making me better and my horse better and my relationship with my horse better and my relationship with my team better? And if you can find ways of just bettering that every time, you will enjoy the game more. When we enjoy it, we play better. Lose those stresses and those negative thoughts about the sport and just find all the enjoyment and all the good stuff. You play better, you win more, and it all comes together. That's all that preparation in one with your horse and your rider. Compare now to 15 years ago, are you enjoying it more or is it the same amount of stimulation? The six minutes on the field at a time, I absolutely love the game. I cherish the game of polo cross. I am a true fan. I'm enjoying the sport as a whole more now, Mm. probably because there's less pressure and just I'm in a different space in life. 15 years ago, I was probably at my best then, but I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I do now. I love my kids playing. I've always enjoyed breeding horses, making horses, and then playing those horses. There's something really satisfying in playing your homebreds and then performing well. I'm very, very lucky. My grandparents and then my parents bred horses and we have a a really strong sport horse breed. Um, They love the game. They enjoy the game. They're fun to play. It's pretty exciting when you go out and play with your daughter and you're both on horses that you've bred and trained and the kids are getting the satisfaction of it and they're going well and they're doing well and you're winning. Like it's it's huge. You know, like your parents, your mum especially, all the breeding work that she did and you get the benefits of it. And it some people don't know that they've never ridden a good horse, and that's really sad. It really is a different game when you're on a good horse. Well, speaking of good horses and bloodlines and everything, what are your thoughts on the Baragoon sale? Were, were there any WA horses there? Or oh, there- I don't know the answer to that, honestly. I have one horse here that is a serious horse that I would like 
to get exposed more. If I was that 15 younger time that we just got, I would be so excited to play this horse. And I am now, but he's he makes me feel very old. He's, <laughs> he's an exciting horse. Um, and I did kick around the idea of sending him over because I'd love to see him in men's polo cross at a really high level because I, I think he's a proper competitor. And then when I saw the results, I was like, damn, why didn't I do that? People have got a lot of money. Oh, it, it tells me a few things. Firstly, it tells me Barragoon have done a lot of work on their horses and on their marketing. And, I mean, having Lucy and Jim and Abbott and everyone that plays those Barragoon horses at the levels that they're at because they're on quality sport horses, that's a huge marketing and people know that you will get a quality product if you go to Barragoon. So that's one side of it. And they are, they're, they're fabulous horses. It's also a numbers game. You have a number of horses and as players, you have the quantity, you will get the quality. We all have a percentage of our horses are a certain quality. So you have more, you will have more quality. Secondly, it shows me that there's not a lot of horses around. People are willing to pay that money like that, that is massive money. Like it's unbelievable. And I think it's great that Polacross is looking at that. People pay that sort of money for polo ponies. They pay it for racehorses. They pay it for, but they're all professional sports. Right. Polacross is amateur. They can use them for breeding. They can use them for other sports, whatever it might be. They're, they're a proven, the Australian stock horses are proven athletes across a range of disciplines. So you've got your breeding aspect as well. I was speechless when I listened to it. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't actually believe the numbers. Like last year, Hayden Turnbull's mare went for forty-eight thousand. Like that's huge money for a polo cross horse. Right. And then to like nearly triple that—that's out of control. So we are in a different era. We're an era where there aren't the horsemen, the true horsemen that spent all day in the saddle on these horses, doing stock work, droving cattle. We don't have those true horsemen around anymore so they're not turning out the numbers of horses that they used to be we have some that still put all the work in but horses are being rather than learning a work ethic and being the tough workhorses and becoming good that way mentally we're more getting a breed that is good which is great and then they're becoming educated through a process they're following a process instead of a horse becoming great because it's your only horse and it has to do 10 jobs on the farm and then go to polo cross and play polo on the weekend and then play polo cross the next weekend and mum rides it dad rides it the kids ride it whatever and that horse the horses used to have jobs where they had a lot better work ethic they were either the milkman's horse in front of the cart or they were the mailman's horses or soldiers horses or whatever they might be and they were told to stand still and they stood there for maybe three hours or whatever their job was now we we do baby our horses we put up with bad manners we put up with bad attitudes we're not disciplining them enough we allow we're scared of them getting hurt because they were expensive and we only have one and we don't want to tie them up or whatever it might be in the fear of them getting hurt. They're an animal. They're an animal that needs discipline and they're an animal, they're a very intelligent animal and they need to know what their job is and they need to know it clearly. Um, If you allow them to get away with bad habits, they will continue to get away with bad habits. And if 
they have a bad habit that they learn on the field and you don't correct that early, that will come out for the rest of time because, like us, when we are seriously under pressure, your bad habits come out. Right. So if you've got a horse that you allow as a young horse to do something that's not great, later on when the pressure's on, that bad habit will come out if it's not disciplined or rectified early on. Do you think that having the camp draft there as well, where most of the horses do both, adds value? Is there more money in camp drafting or is that not a factor in in this case? Well, in Western Australia, it's not a factor. There's there's not much of it around. It would be good if there was, but there isn't. Over East, definitely that played a part in the money spent on some of those horses because of the sport being more prevalent there and buying mares, you can breed a horse that can do both or do one or the other. There's money in camp drafting. It's a very short period of time that you can win money. So it's attractive to people. Like we spend a lot on polo cross. We spend a lot of money and they're all for bragging rights and everything. But I know for me, when I go to a tournament and possibly win a saddle or a bridle or a something that I would have to pay for otherwise, right. that's a good reward because it's money that doesn't have to come out of my pocket later on or for the next tournament or whatever it might be. Because really we're just pouring money into Polycross and not right. other than other than the feeling of winning and the feeling of accomplishment that you and your horse have gone well, there's not a lot of monetary value ever coming back in Polycross. Right. Some, some people breed horses and sell horses that's their way of paying for the sport. The enjoyment of breeding and like Sarah Grills is a fanatic on her bloodlines and her breeding and and she's very good at it and she's very rehearsed at it and she's very passionate about it. And it's a way of them being able to pay for their sport and make money, which is massive. We'd all love to do that. We'd all love to have the energy to do it as well. I think they've done a fantastic job, but, yeah, bewilderment is one word just simply because of the money in a in an amateur sport warranted yes we've all seen the barragoon horses they're at the top of the food chain because of their ability other people might have one horse or two horses they have a a string of horses purely because of numbers and a breed that works all right well thanks a lot for your time i know we'll probably have some other ones coming up with some some of your teammates that you're coaching i really appreciate it i look forward to it and Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right. Have a wonderful day. Stay cool. Thanks, Ryan. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'm so grateful that Jane takes the time to share her wealth of knowledge. Cheers to you, Jane, and watch out for those that have to compete against your teams. Here on Chugga Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the Send Voicemail Sidebar button on PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. For more Polacross coaching, go to PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.